The following sermon was preached at Redeemer Church in Tumball, Texas. For more information, go to makingmuchofjesus.org. Good morning. It is great to see you guys. If you are uh, used to see, seeing me uh, lead us uh, in, in worship through song uh, on Sundays, and you've always wondered, who is that guy? Uh, my name is Kevin, and I am one of the elders here at Redeemer. Um, and what a blessing to have Lawson and our crew uh, lead us uh, to, to, to sing and praise and worship Christ this morning for all that he is. Um, and so it's my joy to lead worship a lot and lead singing a lot with you guys, but it's also a privilege when I have the ability to uh, preach. And so, uh, so I hope you'll join me this morning. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, but before we get there, most cultures... Most church cultures um, and traditions have some practice where they try to demonstrate unity within the body, um, whether it's through liturgical sayings. Some of you may have grown up saying this, may the, uh, may the peace of Christ be with you. There you go. See, some of you still got it. Uh, whether it's holding hands to pray, whether it's on a regular basis as we gather each week, we stand together and read the scriptures, uh, whether it was as I practiced when I was uh, a, a kid at the church that I grew up in, uh, we would uh, reach across the aisle. Remember that? Um, and you would hold hands across the aisle. And, and we never did that on Sunday mornings because that was, that was just too weird for Sundays, Sunday mornings, I guess. Uh, but when we came together on Sunday nights, it was special. And I didn't really care about what was happening. We, we would sing a song. Usually, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I was mostly concerned with who I was holding hands with. And particularly if I could strategically work it to where I was across the aisle from one of the other elementary aged girls um, that I might could, uh, uh, could hold her hand. So uh, that, was a, uh, that was really what I was about. Um, but as I look back on that, it was powerful. Um, where else do you join together with a bunch of your friends, hold hands and sing together? Nowhere. Um, it's unless you've been in a Coke commercial, that's probably not something you've done recently. We don't see it a lot of places. Congress tried to do this weird thing where they held hands recently and sang, didn't they do that? And that was kind of weird. Um, uh, but these people, this church that I grew up in, this was really family. Uh, people completely unrelated to one another, except through Christ, suffering together. They rejoiced together. They laughed together. They played 42 together, which is a lost art. I don't know if anybody plays 42 anymore. What a powerful picture of the gospel. Uh, and it's amazing how something like that, as, as seemingly cheesy as it may, may be, is packed with this potent uh, picture of what it means to be the body of Christ. And as we've been walking through 1 Corinthians, I want you to think back quickly just to the first century uh, that this church would have be, been being birthed out of. Uh, that society, was it, was it was one that was carved up with all kinds of divisions. There were, there were Jews and Gentiles. Uh, there were there were religious distinctions, cultural distinctions, ethnic distinctions, class distinctions, distinctions in gender. Uh, and, and there are positive distinctions that God has created, but this culture on many fronts was one that was segregated along lines of value. You are worth this, you're worth this, and we segregate in that way. And Jesus comes into the world and he doesn't privilege any one group, but he comes for all peoples. And he calls all those who adhere into his kingdom. And so you have the poor responding to Jesus and you have the rich responding. You have women responding and men. You have Gentiles responding to Jesus and Jews. And so now in this new community, you have all kinds of people who up until now have learned and probably even many of them enjoyed 
living with division. And, and you can just imagine the kind of challenge that that would be practically of just learning to get along, learning to respect one another, learning to love each other, learning to love even the differences. And, and we've seen this challenge played out through the first 11 plus chapters of 1 Corinthians. And remember, Paul's been dealing with him on just a number of fronts, right? Uh, pretty much aside from the opening greetings, it's been one correction after another. He talks about the divisions that exist. He talks about their spiritual pride. He talks about how they've tolerated sin, about how they're suing one another, about their sexual immorality, about their strange views of marriage even, about food sacrifice to idols and how they're not serving one another in this, about their own idolatry and how they're even turning the Lord's Supper into practically a Mardi Gras ball. And, and last week, Pastor Barry took us through the beginning of, of Paul's conversation about the spiritual gifts. And even in this, even in the gifts, we see how they have begun sinning against each other in different ways. There's, there's, there's gift envy. Uh, I, I want the more noticeable gifts. I want your gift, not this one I have. There's pride about the gifts. I, I'm really a better Christian than, than you. I teach, I lead, I serve in this way. I'm better than you. And I think when we read about the Corinthian church, particularly, one could probably come to the conclusion, uh, particularly if you had been there, of why, why almost why even bother? Uh, particularly as we read it, we would say, the church, the church doesn't need me. I don't need them. It would just be easier to not deal with all this garbage uh, if it was just me and Jesus anyway. I got a family. We can talk to Jesus, and that's all we need. But at the end of the day, no matter how jacked up the, the Corinthian church was, no matter how much they were sinning against each other, for that matter, no, how much, no matter how much we are jacked up, uh, there is a miraculous mystery that is the church, how God is building his body, how he has designed each of us together. And Paul wants the Corinthians to see how incredible it can be when the church actually functions like the church, as this, this new people of God, not, not the chaotic thing they've experienced so far. And, and so to have this conversation, we have to acknowledge that to be the people of God can be messy, it can be hard, it can be tough, but, but it's worth it. It's kind of like marriage, right? When we join two people together, that's hard. It, it's work, but it's, it's good work. It's, it's worth the effort, and it's worth it for us if we are driven by the gospel, if we are fueled by the spirit of God, uh, the church can work the way Christ created it to. Uh, so as we look at 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to see two things. We're going to see the profound design of Christ's church and the profound purpose of Christ's church, Christ's body. Uh, so you guys, will you stand with me and let's open in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to read this section of scripture together, uh, starting in chapter 12, verse 12. Uh, so read along with me. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And on the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You guys join me in prayer. Father, would you this morning give us a, grant us a vision of what it might look like to live more intimately as your body, as your people. And God, would you draw us uh, to your scriptures? Would you you draw us to Christ by your spirit? And God, would we see there uh, the hope uh, that is found for us in this local church, in uh, the spirit-filled believers that you have placed in our lives. And God, would we be Uh, Would we be more encouraged to pursue Christ? Would we be more encouraged to live together and to express the gospel to those around us? We pray this in Christ's name, amen. I can grab a seat. So the church is an organism. It's not an organization. Uh, We live in a day and age of organizations. But Paul, Paul is saying that the church is alive. It's a living thing. A corpse, think about a corpse. A corpse is A corpse is organized. There's organization to it, but it has no life, right? All the parts in the right place, all the limbs and organs in the right location, but not alive, merely organized. A car, it's a structured system. It's got a frame, it's got steel, it has an engine, and it works to do the very things it was designed to do, right? And, and with certain technological advances, sometimes it feels like it's somehow alive, right? Some of your cars like have cameras and they talk to you and they, they say things like back in response. They help you stop at stop signs or something. Um, but regardless of how much computing power is in there, your car's not alive. Uh, regardless of how much Siri actually talks back to you, your iPhone's not alive. It's just, it's just an iPhone. It's just wires and, and chips, and I mean, that's all it is. Uh, uh, but the church is not like a car. The church is not to be confused with an organization that has all the right parts and systems, that has you know, nice, a nice nicely built car, machine that runs smoothly, trained by expert technicians and, and driven and run by uh, the fanciest of leaders and, and preachers. No, the church is an organism. It's living, it's breathing, it's vital, it's alive. And that's what Paul is saying. He's not, he's not saying not only is the church alive, but it has individuals that are alive in it, pulsing through each Christian eternal life. And we are living just as every member in, in your body, every, every cell in your body is living. So everyone in a church, every member, every, everyone who's in Christ in a church is alive. And together we are a body, a living body. Uh, the New Testament uses a lot of analogies, right? We know this, right? The church is a bride. Christ is the groom. The church is the branches. Christ is the vine. These are all like living organisms, right? The church is the flock. Christ is the shepherd. The church is a family. And we're children who, who cry out, Abba, Father, uh, and, and even in the one analogy that I, that I can think of that is like a non-organism is the church is described as the temple of God. But even then, in that analogy, we are described as living stones that he is building together, Christ as the builder. Um, and so now we see this analogy of the body. Um, and so check out the text there in, in, in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. This is the majesty of the human body. You have all of these little functioning parts. 
do you even know what your spleen is doing right now? Just stop and think. Like, what's my spleen doing right now? Maybe have a little conversation with your spleen. Um, down to the cellular level, there's all, I don't, I don't even know what a spleen does. Honestly, I didn't look it up because I knew that I would learn what the spleen did and I wanted to be purposefully ignorant. The spleen is, is, is very un, you know, uh, unrewarded, uncelebrated. But even down to the cellular level, there are these parts, even microscopic ones, and they're all working together for this body to function. And that's, that's what Paul is saying uh, in verses 12 and 13. He's saying that's how the church is. Tremendous diversity, but incredible unity within the church. Diversity and yet unity. And by the way, whenever you see unity and diversity, we see God's glory at work. Uh, the term universe itself is, is the combination of those, those ideas. Unity and diversity. Universe literally means the whole thing rolled into one. And when you have the diversity of the creation, we see it all working together, all the many parts of God's creation working together. Uh, we see it in the Trinity, diversity and yet unity. And then we see it in the human body, fearfully and wonderfully made. Think of all the processes and systems, just as you sit there right now, that are functioning, that are working to allow you to live, to allow your blood to flow through your veins, to allow you to not die right where you're sitting uh, and yet we, all those things are at work today, and yet we see each other and we say, hi, Steve. We don't, we don't think of all the things that are running. We just say, that's you. That's a person. That's a unity. Um, and yet all these individual things are happening, Univer unity and diversity. Uh, so as we begin looking at this profound design of the church, we see incredible unity. I don't know if we have the PowerPoint up there or not, but it didn't make it on this service, did it? All right, perfect. Um, incredible <laughs> unity. Uh, in verse 13, uh, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. He's saying each and every person who's come to Christ has been baptized by the same Holy Spirit. And Jesus says the same thing in John 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. Whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow with living waters. And this he said about the spirit, right? He was talking about the spirit of God whom those who believed in him were to receive. So though we may be different people with different gifts, our spiritual baptism levels the playing field, right? Through the work of the Spirit, uh, we're brought into a community that's diverse, yet without division. Water baptism is a great picture of this. All of us, no matter our social standing, uh, no matter our race, our gender, our socioeconomic standing, age, uh, legal standing, education, we all come through the waters. We're all in need of the same forgiveness, all in need of the same spirit to be alive within us. There is no member of Christ's body that comes in any other way. So even in our little church here, we have people who have PhDs. We have people with master's degrees. We have people that didn't graduate high school. We have people who are wealthy and we have people who are just, just getting by. We have uh, several ethnic groups represented within our church family, though we're not, still not as diverse as we'd like to be. Uh, we have those who were saved as very young children and have some who were saved in high school and in college and even many who were saved as adults, some who were saved on drugs, some who were saved in prison. We have people who vote Republican here, but we have people who vote Democrat here. Believe that. Um, I believe it. We have lots of Aggies here and we have some Longhorns here. Uh, and most importantly, we have some LSU Tigers here. Uh, uh, the best for last. We could keep going on and on. There, I think you get the point. We have different preferences, different styles, different upbringings, 
But no matter the cultural divide, we are all made one in Christ. God is taking our uniqueness and he is bringing it together to form a singular body, his bride, the church. Yes, individual, but connected to one another. We are many parts, but we are unified because of his spirit. Ephesians 2, he's made in himself one new man, a new race he's talking about. Galatians 3, we are one in Christ. We are fellow citizens, fellow heirs. John 17, Jesus prayed, I pray for them that they may be one. Just as we are one, they may be one. Not that we'd have a lot of superstar Christians, but that they may be one. And the Holy Spirit comes into his people and we now are one. So this is not about uniformity, but we should praise God for our uniqueness. But it is not given to you that simply that you might be unique, but rather you bring a uniqueness to the body that we all may be blessed. In fact, the differences are beautiful. God is saving for himself a people one unity, but it will be made from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. It will be a unified diversity for eternity. I know even, uh, even as we t- speak of unity, loneliness for some can be an issue, particularly in the, the fast-paced city lifestyle where we're all commuting different places, a lot of, lot of activity. And listen, whether you're lonely uh, at work, or maybe, maybe, just, maybe you're lonely in your own sin. Maybe you're suffering in the grips of an addiction, some hidden suffering or hidden sin. Maybe that loneliness is meant to draw you to Christ, meant to make you feel dissatisfied. That loneliness is meant to turn you to Jesus, that you might be filled by his spirit, that you might find nearness with his saints. When, when Christians, I believe, live lives of loneliness, I, I think it's probably the most sad of all because we, among all people, should be closely connected to others. There is a, a warmth and a nearness and a closeness in the conversation between two brothers in Christ or two sisters in Christ standing out, sweating in our sweaty, hot, humid Houston air in the parking lot after church today or gathering on Tuesday night on somebody's couch in a, in a, a missional community. Then, then there's more warmth in that for us as Christians than there will ever be in the satisfaction of sin or in the fleeting comfort of alcohol, food, of, of affection. Uh, Christians, consider this unity we have in Christ. Consider, consider maybe what makes you feel divided uh, from your fellow church members. Are there people that you avoid? Are there ways that you can overcome uh, your aversion? Uh, maybe by praising God for those who are different than you. Praising God for the way his grace uses others in a different way than he uses you. So we see not only this incredible unity in Christ's church, uh, but we see a diverse body. There is all-inclusive diversity in the body of Christ. Uh, I want to do an exercise really fast. So I, I, I didn't make the first service do it, but the, okay, if you have a pen or a pencil nearby, you grab it and write, but don't use your thumb. Just write your name. No thumb. <laughs> text, te- text without your thumb. There you go but you can't even use it to hold your phone. You have to actually, right? So how successful was that? We did okay? We did the toddler style, right? The grip, the the thumb up in the air because we're trying not to use it. Uh, Right, so the the point is, we don't notice our thumbs a lot. We don't think about our thumbs a lot. I mean, you you use it, you give the universal okay sign. If you're an Aggie, you really like your thumb. Um, The 
you know, there's a lot of, there's just, there's not a lot of things that we think about when we, when we, when we think about our thumb, but we use it a lot, right? But we give it no attention. It's not like when we're walking out of the house in the morning and we go to the mirror to check ourselves, make sure we look okay. Okay, I'm good. It's not like our eyes glance down to the thumbs, right? We're like, man, did I groom my thumb well today? Is everything looking all right down there? No, we don't notice it at all. Until what? Until you have to live without it. Until you injure it. Until you hurt it. Um, and as the church, we, we need each member. We need every part of the body to function. Everybody in the game, everybody using their gifts, no matter how insignificant you may feel, how unimportant you may feel, we need every part. Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. So there's diversity. There are many parts of the body of Christ. In uh, verse 15, if the foot should say, and I think this is significant because as far as I'm aware, Jeff could correct me on this, um, this is the only place where a foot speaks in the Bible. So it's the only lines I'm aware of that the foot gets. So, um, but the, uh, so that's got to be significant, I think. Uh, and secondly, feet are, I, I'm told feet are gross. My wife can't stand feet. So I've been trained to know that feet are disgusting. Um, and uh, I think it's just a complex. I have bad feet, I think. Um, but <laughs> verse 15, the foot should say, because I'm not a hand. So we got to agree, hands are at least better than feet. They smell better. Um, usually. If the foot should say, because I'm a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Have you ever heard of a football player getting turf toe? That just sounds like a made-up injury, right? You got grass on your toe? Like, what happened? Um, turf toe, right? It's, it may sound silly, made up. It's almost like, I got a hangnail. Great, you're going to miss the game? Uh, but players, stars in the NFL miss games because they have turf toe. It is a very painful thing to a very small part of your body but guess what? Without it, you can't function. Not only is it very painful, but your big toe is responsible for a lot of things. It helps in a lot of ways for balance and for pushing off. That's the body of Christ. Whether you're a toe, whether you're a hand, you're crucial. And of course, we get this common message in our culture today uh, to our kids that says, you know, you're so special, you, right? And this is kind of like the, the, the message that we hear pretty commonly. You're so, you are, you're special, you're unique. You're, there's no one in this world like you. Uh, you're a snowflake out in the blizzard. But what's amazing is that's very true. It's very true. You are a spiritual snowflake. You are unique. You are gifted. You are perfectly distinct. And I would say so much so to the point that you are essential, that there are no two like you. And yes, we are one, but we are many. We have a couple of guys uh, at Redeemer who are uh, football coaches, and they're ramping up into football season. And uh, if everyone on their team came in and said, you know what, we talked about it, coach, we really think last season we were really kind of disjointed. Every, everybody was just out for themselves. We really want to be unified this season. So we've decided we're all going to play quarterback. <laughs> Wouldn't work, right? Right? The, the coach would go, uh, not helpful uh, unless it's the Texans and we need 50 so we can at least get one out of that. Um, another thing altogether. But my, my buddy Micah is a, a, a contractor. Micah is, uh, you know, if he showed up at his work site tomorrow uh, and all of his subcontractors were to meet him there and say, you know what, we've really, we feel like we've just been banging heads together. It's been like one, just, just a lot of disjointedness. We decided we're all going to do roofs this, this time. We're just going to be roofers. It, it just makes more sense. We'll be more unified. He goes, no, I, there's no roof to do. I need a slab first. I need a frame I need other things. I need plumbing. This is not going to work, right? So these are ridiculous illustrations, obviously. Uh, but Paul takes us to that exact that concept. Not only are we diverse, but we can't all be the same. Unity requires diversity. 
And yet some, somehow I think it's so as we, we the church somehow, it, intentionally or not, we can give the impression that what we're aiming for spiritually is you need to be like Jeff. You need to be like Pastor Jeff. You need to teach like him. You need to shepherd or, or encourage like Pastor Barry. That's, that's really spirituality. Yes, imitate the faith of your leaders, no doubt, but you be you. God has made it that way. Unity requires diversity. Bring the skills, the gifts that you have. Look at verse 16. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? If all were a single member, where would the body be? He's saying, if you didn't have a body, if you were just one giant eyeball, right, one giant toenail, that's, that's horrible, um, it would be something out of a, like a sci-fi horror movie or a Disney movie. Uh, but so a church that emphasizes one gift to the exclusion of the others is out of balance and says, that's what's spiritual. That's what's really righteous. That's what's really godly. That's out of balance. It's unhealthy. And if we aren't aren't careful, we as members of the body can slip into a couple of different traps. Uh, First, we can begin to feel useless. Check out verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That's that's a sickness right there that Paul is showing us. The, The feeling that I'm not a part of the body. Then he says it again in verse 16. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That's basically us saying, I may as well not go to church. I may as well not serve. I may as well not be part of of a missional community of believers. I'm useless. What I am is not needed. It doesn't count. It's unimportant. All that matters is eyes. All that matters is hands. And Paul's saying this is a sickness in the body of Christ. In fact, it can become a deformity in the body of Christ. Um, It exists, I think, in all churches. I'm sure it exists here. Uh, But he answers it this way. He answers it by saying, that's not true. That's not true. Paul says, your feelings are out of sync with reality. They're not true. They're wrong. Look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Paul responds by saying this, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So Paul hears this self-condemnation, these feelings of uselessness, and he just boldly gets up against it and says, not true. If you say I'm not important, If you say what I have to give to this church family is not important, not significant, I may as well just drop out. Paul's response to that is, you're not speaking truth. It's not true that you're not part of the body. It's not true that what you have is not significant. And and your comparison of, of, of yourself to others is not leading you to the proper conclusion. You never become less a part of the body simply because you think you are less a part of the body. So if this is you today, if you feel inferior because of the gifts God has given you, if you feel maybe discouraged because of how you're wired or maybe because you're an introvert and it just freaks you out to be around groups of people like this, uh, maybe because you aren't serving in ways that you would like to serve or that you feel like you should be serving, be encouraged. You're needed. We need you. Don't check out. You're indispensable, he goes on to say. Of course, this doesn't mean every action, every behavior of ours is indispensable. Granted, we're growing in faith. We're growing uh, we're being sanctified by Christ, but the gifts the Spirit has given us are, pro- are necessary for the proper working of the body here at Redeemer. Um, and on the other hand, there's, there's a second sickness uh, that Paul's going to point us to, and it's this, is that maybe you think you don't need us. 
That's the other disease. It's the disease of pride. This disease says, I'm sufficient all, all on my own. I don't need you people. Look at verse 20. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Some of the Corinthians were saying, you know what, I've got pretty great gifts. And, and you know what, I don't really need you guys. I'm pretty much okay. I'll be, I, you can, you know, we can, you can learn from me and watch me. Um, and, you know, maybe one day you'll aspire to be like me and you'll, you'll be more like me. And then, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll want you around a little more. But I've got Jesus. I don't need you guys. And Paul's saying, that's wrong. It's wrong about a physical body. It's, it's ridiculous to think about a physical body saying one part, saying to another part, eh, don't need you. Um, but it's most especially wrong about the body of Christ. It, w- it, would be, it would be similar to me saying, you know, I really love my wife. Mainly just her head, though. I mean, that would be ridiculous, right? It would be crazy. Um, it would be, I would like, church discipline would need to go on. It, it, would be, it would be silly. And he's going on to say, you know, that one that, one that you, think, you think you're so great, you know what would happen if your pancreas shut down? You'd be in lots of trouble. You know what would happen if your liver didn't work? You'd be dead. In fact, we need to go out of our way for those seemingly less significant parts. In a physical body, we honor the less important parts or the less seemingly significant parts. I mean, first of all, we, we simply cover them up. Uh, we protect them. We put, when you play sports, you put pads on so that you won't get injured uh, in particular places. Uh, there are certain parts of our bodies, the unmentionable parts, we wear undergarments, underwear. I mentioned it in church. Perfect. We, we add an earring to an ear. An ear's not so great, but I'm going to add an earring to that, so it's going to dress it up a little bit. Uh, we, we, we go out of our way, and we should go out of our way to honor those that seem less honorable. Check out verse 22. It's where he says it. He says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Verse 22 makes it very plain that all the parts of the body are indispensable. This verse means that Nathan and Lindsay Utt are indispensable. It means that Steve and Kathy Allen are indispensable it means that Richard and Laurel Burkaw are indispensable, that Steve and Eileen Egloff are indispensable, that Brett and Rachel Gill are indispensable, that Daniel and Debbie Nowak are indispensable. It, it, I just, these are just random names from our member list, so nobody's, nobody's like, I'm not like hinting at anything if I said your name. Uh, these are not optional people. They're indispensable. And to honor those parts that are hidden, that kills pride. Have you ever just stopped on a Sunday morning and thanked our greeters? Or maybe stopped and thanked the people that take care of your children on Sunday mornings and, and teach them about Jesus? Or maybe even if you don't have children, but walked over and said, thank you for, for being here for a long time this morning and really pouring into our children. How about the person that hosts your missional community in their home? Or maybe the deacons that, give their time to serve us? Or how about the people that on a regular basis, week after week, take meals to people in our church who are sick or who have children, who have babies? Uh, How about the person in your missional community who is, you can always count on them to pray for you. 
you know that they're always going to check in during the week and say, hey, how's it going? I've been praying. Let me me know how it goes so I can keep praying. We give honor to those who are not thought of as honorable. The body of Christ is diverse. We need everyone. God has so divided the body of Christ so that I need you and you need me. And ideally, when you move away or when you die, this body is meant to be shaken by that. I I get sad from time to time uh, when I think of all the people who have left Redeemer because of a job or some other reason where they had to move to another city. I mean, just a few names off the top of my head, the Sokolowskis, the Jowers, the Sorrels, the Simpsons recently, uh, the Warners just, just recently, the Hattenbergers, the Binfords, the Huddos. You know, we can have an incredible church just made of people that have had to move. And, and, and we see this in the New Testament when a lady named Dorcas dies. It's a great name. She was this loving servant. And, and when she died, the people of that church, they go to Peter and they say, we don't want her dead. We want you to raise her. We need her. We miss her. She has made such an impact here. And, and this is the kind of legacy that we should leave on a family of believers, on a body of believers that when we die or then when we have to leave or, or get this one, when we just simply withdraw that everyone suffers from our absence. Who, who do you know? Just think for just a minute this morning. Who do you know at Redeemer that has blessed you, that has been a part of the body with us, and yet they've kind of pulled away? Maybe this week, call them. Send them a text. Let them know. Say, we need you. Let them know Christ has made it so that they are not dispensable, but rather they are needed. And this is so important because of this last facet of the design of the body is that God has sovereignly arranged the body. Check out verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So the day you got saved, you got placed in the body of Christ. And the day you got placed in the body of Christ, you were given a specific role, specific function according to the will of God. You've obviously, hopefully grown in your faith and you've uh, taken on other roles, but he's given you those roles that only you can play in the body of Christ. And these are vitally important. Therefore, to resent what God has made you, uh, to say, oh man, he's, I, I can't believe, this is, I can't believe he, gave, he did this to me, he made me this way. It's, it's, it's either to say he's mean or he's weak or he's foolish. It's to distrust God, it's to say he's not good. He's not sovereign. He's not wise because he made me like this. He made me with these skills, with these gifts. And so it's a, it's a God issue. We, we trust him. And the bottom line is, can, can you trust the Lord of the church? Can you trust the one, the giver of the gifts? God created a beautifully diverse, unified body, and then he arranged them. He, he is not accidental. God is not random. God isn't up in heaven saying, you know, I'm just going to toss some gifts and some people down. Let's see where they land. Uh, no, this is, this is God's arrangement. Just as God planned the physical body. Is there a lot of randomness in your physical body? other than the randomness that probably needs to hit the gym? Like, is there a lot of randomness in your physical body uh, that, that, no, God, it's so intricate, so well-designed. 
And so there's, there, there, God is not random. And just as a physical body, he has placed the parts in this body that belong here. You have the gifts that you have, and you've been placed in, in the place that you should be because you're exactly who he wants you to be as he sanctifies and grows you, and you're exactly where he wants you to be. God has willed, he has designed you to be here in this church family right now. If you think you may, if you're part of Redeemer, obviously I'm talking to you that are part of the Redeemer family. If you, if you think you just made a choice one Sunday to start coming here because, man, they've got those super great, comfortable black chairs. Uh, they've got a super handsome worship leader. Um, and and you, no, you're not here for those reasons. That's not a real reason. Uh, you're here you're at Redeemer because God willed it. God arranged the members of the body. He decided who should be here. He knows the gifts you have and the community you need. But here's a question. Do we live in such a way as we relate to one another here as though the sovereign God of the universe chose by hand you to be here, to serve, to be served, to remind others of the gospel as you gather together, to share the gospel with others together? Do you live in that reality? Guys, God is to be trusted. He is infinitely wise. He is infinitely loving. He's placed us in the position that we're in with the gifts he's given. If he's done that, then it must be the position we need. These must be the gifts we need. And so we, we rest in him. When we take the position, you know what, God, I will serve your church if you'll give me this. If you'll give me this gift, if you'll give me this ability, if you'll give me this position of service. And what we're essentially saying when we say that is, what, what I long for is the gift, the position, not the giver. He, he gives gifts according to his will, according to his divine sovereign arrangement. We see it again in verse 24. But he has so, God has so composed the body. That word composed this is an artistic term that he's mixed the body parts together like, like, a, like an artist. Like, a, like an artist would use the many colors on the palette to take them to the canvas. It's, 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 it has echoes almost of Ephesians 2, where, where, where we're told we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. God not only chooses uh, the gifts that you'll have, but he mixes you in with the right people so that the right combination will work in the right local expression of the church. He places us according to his will. He creates us. He saved us. He gifted us. And God placed us in the body. So don't, don't chase gifts. Don't chase positions of service. Chase Christ. So the church is this unified, diverse body, sovereignly pieced together by God. But now what purpose? For what purpose? Check out verse 25. He, what has he composed it for? that there be, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If we really believe the scriptures here, if we truly believe we're part of the body because God has so graciously served us, God has so graciously brought us into the family of God, into his body by no merit of our own, and that he's given the gifts to you that you need for the common good, then you're here that you may have care for one another. And you, and you and I will not be passive, unemployed Christians. That shouldn't be something that exists. There should be no one who just goes to church. Ah, I, just, I go to church, it's, it recharges my batteries. Rather, when you come, you should be saying, how can I serve? How can I give myself? Mark 10, Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but he served 
He served us all. And when we cannot be believers claiming to be followers of Jesus, if we come to Jesus simply to be served, but not to serve, because he so graciously served us. Every single Christian, yes, we are unique. We are uh, like that snowflake, like that fingerprint. Uh, we have those certain gifts and certain abilities. And if you're sitting here today, that may very well mean, uh, if you're part of the body of Redeemer, there may, be, there, may, there may very well be someone next week who shows up for the first time at Redeemer. And it may be that you are the only person that's really suited to connect with them, really able to reach out to them, who, really, who will really be able to identify with their particular brand of suffering. There are certain people in your sphere, in your neighborhood, that only you are designed to reach. And they won't be reached, they won't be served by the gospel if we think of ourselves as mainly coming to the body of Christ to have our needs met. Because if our life has been changed by the power of the gospel, we won't just simply passively receive ministry, although we will receive ministry and it will be glorious how you will be ministered to in the body of Christ. But we will also say, what can I do? I know this kind of sounds strange, but, but as Barry mentioned this uh, last week, it seems to me a whole lot less crucial, biblically, that we be able to name our spiritual gift than it does that we would open our eyes in our missional community. And that we would look across the room of the people that we gather with during the week, and we would say, who are these people that God has placed me among? And how can I best serve them? How can I best care for them? How can I best encourage them and share with them the hope of the gospel? That we would open our eyes on a Sunday morning and say, this Redeemer family of which God has chosen and arranged for me to be a part, I need to get there to gather with them. And when I'm there, what things has God enabled me to do that will serve my brothers, serve my sisters in the Lord when I'm with them? And then look at verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. <clears throat> Have you ever broken a bone, torn a ligament? right? It's not just that thing that hurts, right? It's like everything in the area. Everything is affected by it. Your body agrees you're hurt. Like my hand hurts for my foot right now. And when we walk that closely using our gifts, we can glorify God in suffering together. If you're in a group, if you're in a Bible study with someone experiencing a devastating tragedy, would you pray that God would grant you deep compassion to serve and encourage them? And as you seek to serve them, some of you will realize, you know, I'm, I'm gifted in this area of mercy. God's given me a heart, a, a compassion for this person. I'm gifted in the area of service. It comes super easy for me to say, hey, can I mow your lawn this week when someone is in suffering? I'm gifted in, in teaching. It comes very natural for me uh, by, by God's grace to open up the scriptures and remind this hurting person of the promises of God when they're grappling for answers. And yet still some won't engage, uh, some won't serve, and some even will say things to us like, I don't know what I'm gifted to do. I'm not really sure, you know, where I'm supposed to serve. I, there's not really a ministry here that really fits me. You know, I don't, I just, I, I, what about this, you know? And, and we, we'll say back to them, are, are you in a missional community? Are you engaging regularly with God's people? There's lots of places to serve in each one of those groups. There's lots of people that need to be served by the gospel. Well, no, I don't really, you know, I don't have a night that I could get away. TV shows kind of take up most of them. Are you discipling anyone? 
maybe, maybe helping, teaching, helping to teach children. There's plenty of opportunities. We had a meeting this morning between the services <laughs> needing to gather more people to help serve our kids. Uh, no, you know, I'm, I'm really, I think I'm more of an adult person. Is there an adult thing? I, you know? and, and hey, if, I think spiritual gifts inventories can be helpful. Um, that, that's fine. They're not terrible. But, but know this, they're not in the Bible. Um, there, there is no spiritual gifts. A lot of times the spiritual gifts inventories and those tests that you can find online or wherever, um, they can be helpful. But a lot of times really what they are is they're just you telling you what you like. Um, and so if you want to take one, take one. But, but guys, if you're here today and you're a believer, I would say to you, just as the classic words of High School Musical has said, you've got to get your, get your, get your head in the game, right? You've got to get in. You've got to engage with the body of Christ. And as you do, you're going to experience the power of the Spirit of God. As you actually get in the game, he's going to enable you to serve in ways you never knew you could serve. And and you'll see what it will look like. You will actually welcome each other and care for each other, comfort each other. You'll weep together with other people that weep. You'll rejoice with others who rejoice. You'll confess your sins to other people. You'll pray for them. You'll encourage them in their weakness. You'll show hospitality to them. You'll clothe yourself in humility before each other. Have you ever seen how easy it is when somebody, you know, somebody in our church maybe is going through a very difficult tragedy? What is it so easy to do? We can easily say, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I'll pray for you about that. And then, I mean, literally 10 seconds later, never enters our mind again. And we're back to our life, back to our issues, back to our happiness, struggles, whatever it is. And the same, the flip side, when something good happens to somebody, do we say, oh, congrats, that's great for you, good job, way to go, that's a good job, whatever. And really secretly when we walk away, we're envious. Oh, congrats, congrats that you got that new job, that's awesome. But there's maybe envy, maybe, maybe forgotten altogether. We are so disconnected from that person that their rejoicing is not our rejoicing. See, notice Paul is not spending all his time here dealing with how each gift should work. Because I I believe the issue, the primary issue, as we see in this passage, is the heart. The the issue is not us not knowing how to properly use each of the gifts. The issue is that we don't have God's heart for those that we are in the same body with us. It's not that we need a dozen lessons on what it means to use our gift of mercy, our gift of encouragement, or teaching, or administration. Although growing in our gifts, hugely important. Taking classes to get trained and to grow in, in, in ministry and in mission, hugely important. But Paul's showing us is, is that when you're moved by the unity you feel with a brother or with a sister, and when you truly see them as someone more important than yourself, someone that you're deeply connected to as Christ's body, a fellow heir of the treasures of Christ for which he died, then your gifts are going to spring into action. Your mercy, encouragement, service, teaching, administration, whatever abilities Christ has given you will spill out in response to the love and care that you want to show this brother this sister, because you are suffering with them. You are rejoicing with them. We are members together of Christ's body. And guys, we can't bemoan the fall of our culture, uh, the general apathy toward Christ and the world around us, and then take a completely inactive, devalued role in the local church. So if you're not involved, if you're a two to three Sunday morning a month Christian, and that's kind of it, that's the only time I see you guys, that's the only time I really think about you guys, um, we can't say Christ is so essential. 
Christ is all there is. He's our life. And yet my interaction and my, my participation in his body is minimal. I'm really, I'm a foot. I hang out with the body every now and then, but mainly I just hang at home, check out Netflix. And look, if, if it's not Redeemer, that's okay. Like, <laughs> engage somewhere. Be active somewhere. This isn't about the kingdom of Redeemer. It's about the kingdom of the Redeemer. If this is your family, your local body, he has wired you for us. He has wired us for you that we might have care for one another. So for God's glory, for our good, use the gifts God's given you. God's given you. Because if not, you're robbing yourself and you're robbing us of what God has brought to us in you. And, and guys, I mean, there's several ways, I think, which we put this off. Men, our culture says your importance is found at work. You need to pour yourself into work. Work's, and work is vastly important. We need to be good stewards of our work. Show Christ there, but don't minimize Christ's body. Don't ignore the influence and encouragement that you can be here with Christ's people. That's not a biblical idea that we would have all of our influence elsewhere. Young parents, get in the game now. Don't wait until your kids are old enough to, to hang with you. Just take them. They'll hang. Take them with you. We, I remember being in groups uh, and gathering in homes together with other believers where we probably filled 10 closets with pack and plays. Um, and we probably got a good 30 minutes of hangout time because the rest of it was crying. Um, but you know what? That 30 minutes was great. And we needed that 30 minutes. And we needed, the, we needed the time of encouragement and support that happened in the other hour and a half of crying uh, and, and encouraging uh, that, we would, that we would encourage one another in our parenting. Don't wait, young parents. If you're a single adult and you're waiting for marriage, begin now. If, if you're married with older kids and you're waiting for that empty nest or you're waiting for retirement to use your gifts, get in the game now. Let's, let's end with this. The body's purpose is for the glory of Christ. It's for the glory of God. Look at Ephesians 4 with me. That's up on the screen, starting in verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Guys, Christ is all. He is our head. He is our life. And he has called us to himself. And as, and as our only hope, he is also saying, here's my body. All life in, for us is in him. All unity for us is in him. And if you're, if you're not a Christian today, this could be a really frustrating sermon because you don't have the gifts of the Spirit because you don't have the Spirit. And you aren't able to pour yourself out for the common good of the body because you're not a part of the body. Although you are able to serve in many ways because God has commonly graced so many of us, right? There's so many people who don't know Jesus who do good things. But to be a member of the body of Christ, you need Christ. You need his body broken for you. Bearing the weight of your sin, you need his forgiveness. You need his blood shed for that forgiveness of your sin, that you might now be a child of God, that you might now be part of the body. So come to Jesus today. Repent of your sin. Receive his forgiveness. Believe in him. And if, if you're a Christian, and maybe you've just forsaken the body, maybe you've isolated yourself, repent and look to Christ. He is your hope. He did not forsake you, though you deserved it. But yet he gave himself for you willingly. He laid down his life of his own accord 
for you to bear your sin, to be your savior, to be your king. And if you've taken maybe that prideful position of, I don't need the body, I say to you, repent, look to Christ. He bore your sin. He bore your pride on the cross. And he created you to be in need of him. So let's consider how Christ has served us, how he entered into our suffering, coming not to be served, but to serve. He gave of himself, not because we were worthy, but because of his great love and mercy. And now it is nothing we bring that makes us a part of his family, a part of his body. But by his death, his resurrection, his spirit, we are now forgiven, alive, empowered to serve one another. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You guys pray with me. If you are serving communion this morning, or if, <coughs> if you're part of, the, part of the band, come on up. Father, we ask you this morning, God, that you would convince us so desperately of our need for you. God, that we would see our uniqueness as <clears throat> truly beautiful. See it as you have created us for your family, for your body. And God, will we not come to be served, but to serve? And would you convince us this morning, even as we take of the elements, even as we consider your broken body and your shed blood, would you show us that our need was deep, our need was great, and yet Christ served us. Christ gave himself willingly for us. And God, will we remember that? Would that fuel our caring of one another? Would that fuel our church, that we might proclaim the excellencies of, of him who's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So Father, we love you. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.